Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 36, Sarah Artemisia on Flower Essences, Akashic Records, and Aligning with Money. In this episode, we speak with Sarah about how she does retreats on Mount Shasta, some of her favorite plant allies, what flower essences are and how to make them yourself, and about how to find right relationship with money. If you would like to support us, you can find us at patreon.com slash plantcunning. That helps us make these podcasts. We've got a lot going on, but we really like this project, and uh, supporting us helps us make it possible. So thank you to all of our supporters, all of our listeners, and if you know someone who would like this episode, pass it along. Okay, here we go. Well, welcome, Sarah Artemisia, to the Plant Cunning Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? We're doing great. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. So, Sarah, do you think you could give our listeners a little bit of an overview of what you do, like with your work with Plant Spirit Healing, with Akashic Records? Absolutely. Yeah. So... I mean, really when I tune into that question, the thing that comes up for me is how we are microcosms as human beings living in this macrocosm of the earth, of the, of the broader universe. And so the framework of my entire work is really um, life self as microcosm and this recognition that we are living within an ecosystem, of course, like within the ecological ecosystem of, of our life. And then also um, I really utilize this model of life as ecosystem in all of my work. And so with the, the plant spirit healing work, I absolutely love my main modality with that is certainly flower essences and then retreats that I lead at Mount Shasta. And with both of those, the framework and the context that I'm really working with the plants is with this recognition that the plants are our elders, like they are our teachers, they have been on this planet a lot longer than we have. And we have so much to learn from them and they love us. Mm -hmm. The plants love us so much. And one of the reasons that I absolutely love working with flower essences and plants that I would say are traditionally viewed as um, like non-entheogenic is that I have this experience of working with them in this way where it feels like they are both simultaneously incredibly multidimensional and in working with flower essences or meditating with them, we can really go into these very subtle multidimensional states and have these um, energetic, intuitive awakenings, somatic shifts in the body actually happening, like somatic energetic shifts of healing in the body happening while also simultaneously being really grounded. and one of the reasons that I love to do the retreats in Shasta is number one, because the energy of that land is so incredibly powerful. And that mountain to me literally feels like a giant mandala of divine love. And then, so that really holds the container for this incredibly transformational work and, and really coming into alignment with what I call the, the cosmic soul self or the divine aligned soul self in this life, which I feel like is Honestly, I honestly feel like is exactly what we are all doing here in this lifetime on this planet right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so in working with the plants, I have this, vis this very visceral experience actually of really being enveloped in the plant spirit. So um, before we started this interview, I was sharing just a little bit about Rose and right now I've been working a lot with, let's see, I'm like, who's on the desk here? We got like Rose, Violet, 
yarrow, dandelion, motherwort, and redwood are the main ones that I'm working with nice. today, actually. <laughs> I love like work with flower essences every single day. And the experience that I have when I work with essences, both with myself, and then I absolutely love sitting in people in, in, in circles with people and meditating with the plants, because I have this very visceral experience of the plant spirit literally being larger than the circle of people. And that we are sitting inside of that plant spirit. And then we each have our own perceptions of of who is that plant. And then after meditating with that plant for a, a period of time, we can then, uh, you know, come back to the circle and share, like, what did I experience with this plant? What did you experience with it? And I find that it's this experience almost of the plant holding up various mirrors of itself through us so that we can see these like multiple reflected mirrors of who is that plant from multiple different perceptions and get a much more um, well-rounded understanding of who is the plant on that spirit level, which the plants, of course, as I know that you work with this too, with, with the plants in your work, it's like they meet us on every single level, like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like whatever level we are asking for their support on, they love us so much that they will meet us on whatever level that is. And so you know, on the, in the physical realm, of course, that is demonstrated by one plant has so many different kinds of actions that it can do in the body system. It's like one plant doesn't often just do one thing with the body system. And similarly, I find that to be the case in the spirit realm as well with the plants where they are so multifaceted and have so many different ways of supporting us that really they will meet us wherever we're at. And, and if we ask for their support and come to them in a way of being in right relationship, which really to me feels just like being in relationship with a person where, you know, if we're meeting a person for the first time, like we want to get to know them for a little, a little bit before we really dive into the, the epically deep transformational stuff that they are working on. And with plants, I find it's the same way that it's like, we go in, we introduce ourselves, we say, thank you. We say, you know, you're beautiful. Like, thank you for being here. And we get to know them over time. Um, I've found that this is a really wonderful way to engage in a deepening of a relationship. Like some of my plant teachers would call it a courtship of, of deepening in the relationship with the plants, but mm really within that framework of life as ecosystem and how do we engage with all facets of life in right relationship, that piece of, yeah, the relationship, the relationship is primary. It's the primary thing. And my work with the plants ultimately really at its core level is about deepening in relationship with the plants and particularly in this time on the planet, deepening into an understanding of how they are really helping us on every single level to move through this gigantic transition on the planet that we're, we're in right now. Um, if we're open to it, that they, they are here, they're wanting to help and support us. And they are really excited. Anytime anyone comes to them with an open heart and says, you know, can we collaborate? Can we work together? Thank you for helping us. Yeah. They're super down. Yeah. They love it. <laughs> Yeah. So how did you yourself come to the plant path? Yeah. So I, I honestly, I think I've always been on the plant path because I was raised by hippie parents. So, you know, it's like taking the tinctures and nice. drinking the teas and growing the organic veggies and the organic herbs from a very young age. And cool. um, at least for the last I consciously for the last 13 years, I have been very clear that it's on the spiritual, that my work with the plants is really more on that spiritual level with, um, I have felt for so, so long, I don't even know how long I have felt this, but I felt for a very, very long time, the plants are my spirit family. I feel like we just get each other in this certain, like, I don't really have to, well, I guess I'll say, I'll also share that I grew up Quaker. And for anyone listening who knows about Quakers, you likely know that the foundation of Quakerism is that everyone and everything has an inner light. And so for me, it's the inner light of plants has just felt so accessible. It's very on the surface. They don't have a lot of layers of crap layered on top to sift through to get to the light. It's like the light is in their entire being and on the surface of who they are. It's very easy to connect with, I've found. And um, and I recall about 13 years ago, really starting to feel this sense of, you know, I needed to start finding some mentors in my life who had already walked this path of, uh, of the, of the plant spirit path of really 
knowing and being in relationship with the plants on this deeper level. And so that, of course, as you know, as with anyone, like to me, the plant path is the spiritual path. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I am so grateful, so grateful for that, but that because of the way that I was raised both with hippie parents who were also Quaker, the spiritual path was always, it was like, that was very, that was very embraced in my childhood. It was like, great. Like you're connected to spirituality. Awesome. Continue to, to cultivate that, continue to be connected to that. And so weaving the plants into that has always just felt very, um, very natural. So I don't think there was a, really a, a pivotal change point that, yeah. that directed me there. Yeah. You were just, you were raised from it from a young age to be with the plants. I'm curious though. So who were some of your teachers and mentors in um, your yeah. plant path? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to the humans. I'm so grateful to the plants as the foundational elders on on this path, like apprenticing directly with the plants themselves. And in the human realm, I'm so grateful to those who have come before. I mean, certainly I feel weaving through all of this is indigenous cultures throughout the entire world who have always felt that connection to plants. And then in terms of my specific personal lineage, it, it really started out with a guy named Doug Simons over in Durango, Colorado, who um, lived in the wilderness for many, 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 like I think two decades with just his two mules and his and his knife. And nice. he, yeah, absolutely. And so humble. I mean, he's a wood elf too. So, so, so sparkly, probably like five foot two and just loves the plants. And I remember asking him, cause he was talking about how he had, um, gone out to this hot spring in the Gila wilderness in Southern New Mexico, like multiple decades ago. And his car broke down and he was like, why would I go back? I love it here. And then he just stayed for two decades. Wow. Cool. And yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, Doug, that's incredible. So I was asking him when I was down there, you know, so what, what inspired you to do that? Was it that you, you wanted to leave society? And he just looked at me with this twinkle in his eye and he's like, it wasn't about leaving anything. It was about moving towards what I love and feel most connected to. And that moment was a very, that was a pivotal moment for me where I was like, ah, okay. There's something to this. Like I already felt so connected with plants. And then it was like, yeah, it really is about moving towards, towards what we love. Um, so that, so Doug Simon's so grateful to him. He's so connected with the plant spirits. And then, uh, Pam Montgomery was a huge, huge mentor of mine. I did a couple of workshops with her and her plant spirit healing apprenticeship in 2016. So grateful for her work. Um, let's see the folks over at blue otter, Karen Sanders and Sarah Holmes, mm. they work a lot with plants from this perspective of, um, plants as supporting moving light through the body. Very native, Karen is native American. So it's a very native American perspective of, of working with the plants and, and working with either, you know, how plants support with like the, like cultivating or gathering of light in the body, or, you know, if light is fractured in the body, how to mend that mm. really appreciated that perspective of more of this energetic herbalism. And then it got to the point, honestly, a few years ago where I was like, okay, plant spirits, like they are my family. They are my spirit family. I love them so much. I feel so connected to the plants on the spiritual level, but I feel like I need to know about who they are more in 3d as well. So then I decided to go seek out a more traditional style herbalism school and worked with Jane Bothwell in Arcata. And Jane to me is totally an embodiment of the plants where just like the plants where she, where they, I really do feel they meet us on any level, wherever we're seeking support. She's like that in how she works with the, with her students, where it's like, no matter what, uh, like layer of experience or layer of reality, the students are seeking herbal wisdom through, she meets them there and she's so humble and to me, that is every, every single one of the teachers that I worked with are so humble. And that to me is, that is the way of the plants. It's like the plants are so powerful. They have such incredible healing gifts and they're so humble. And when people who are on the plant path really embody that to me, that's such a demonstration of like, they are truly walking that path. And so that has been a huge, um, 
a very easy, uh, like when seeking out different teachers and mentors on this path, that's been a very clear, um, like yes or no for me of like, is this person humble? Um, are they truly connected with the plants in this deeper way? If yes, then I want to work with them. <laughs> so yeah. So grateful for the human teachers on this journey. I like that observation about, um, being humble, like the plants. I think it's really true. What have been some of your plant teachers that have been especially uh, powerful in your path? Hmm. Man, that's such a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to narrow it down probably, but. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, it totally is because there's so many. I'm so grateful for that. And also, I mean, really, so for the long, for decades, like since I was a kid, really, I always felt so connected to the green ones, the ones that weren't showy, the underdogs, you know, the plantains, the weeds, things like that, because I was like, these plants are amazing and no one gives them credit. Everyone loves the flowers. And, you know, (laughs) yeah, just this whole thing about like, what about the plantains of the world? Like, they're so amazing. And, you know, they have such incredible properties and they're just so cool. Um, And uh So for decades, I felt very, very connected to all the green ones. And I'd say the plants that really are the the ones who I'm calling, and this is like very sacred information, but it, it feels safe to share here that the, the plants that I work with every single day, every single day are mugwort and oak, like Mm -hmm. every single day I'm calling those plants in and I'm so grateful to them. And with mugwort, I had this experience in Pam's uh, in Pam Montgomery's apprenticeship where, and for, and for decades, I actually didn't work with mugwort for about like two decades. I didn't work with mugwort at all because when I was little, my mom would make these dream pillows. She was super into herbs, you know? And so she put mugwort in the dream pillows. I was a super sensitive kid. And so I'd have these really intense nightmares from the mugwort. So like, yeah, so starting age five, I was like, mugwort is not the plan for me. Like that plant is way too intense, you know? Um, yeah. So so, and even now I'm like, I only work with mugwort in the daytime now too. Like mugwort is a, I'm a daytime dreamer with mugwort for sure. Um, so yeah. So in the apprenticeship with Pam, I remember she asked us to go outside, sit with a plant that we felt drawn to meditate with it. And I went over to mugwort. I was feeling drawn to, which over on the West coast is Artemisia Douglasiana is, is our local mugwort here. And there's mugworts all around the planet. And people have been working with mugwort for healing. I mean, moxibustion in Chinese traditional medicine, there's native tribes in Southern California that have worked with, um, with mugwort in a similar type of fashion for thousands of years. And um, so, yeah, I remember going and, oh, what were you going to say? Well, it's also in old English, the Anglo-Saxons, that was the, the first herb you know? Yes. I, yes. The Una, the first herb and so many, um, so many healers in, in old Europe, they would put mugwort out on their front lawns as a kind of signpost or, um, like hanging their shingle out for the villagers to know, like I work in, in the healing realms with the plants. Um, and so that has all been very interesting to, to learn since the relationship with mugwort has deepened. Um, so I went over and sat with her for 20 minutes, just very, you know, mellow sit, like we're going to sit with the plants for 20 minutes. And in the span of 20 minutes, I had this experience where it was this sense of like the portals opening up and having this very visceral energetic feeling that I have been working with mugwort for thousands and thousands of years that we have been allies, that we have been collaborating together um, on the healing path for thousands of years. And like, almost like this sense, like we are one sort of a feeling and I don't have any tattoos. And, but in that moment, I felt this urge, this huge desire to put a three foot large tattoo of mugwort on my torso. Cause I was just like, we are one, like I love mugwort. And so since that time I have, uh, she, she is, I'm like, she's with me all the time. Um, I feel like she's very connected to, there's a few plants where I feel like they have this quality of blue light that really helps with, uh, on an energetic level that helps with clearing and moving energy. Um, Mugwort is one, yarrow is another, rue is another um, in those realms, but mugwort is certainly a very close ally. Mm. So grateful to her. And then oak is this, is another one who I feel 
every time I tune into oak, which is at least once a day, <laughs> I'll get this feeling of oak being so um, like tall, ancient, up to the cosmos, up to the highest dark night sky that we can't even see and connected in with this grid work of light up there that is older than the oldest stars, this sort of a feeling, which of course logically doesn't make any sense, but it's this very, this energetic imprint of like oak is a very old ancient ally. And the very first time that I meditated with oak, I had this visual of this elder woman and she kept saying over and over again, some songs need to be sung a long time. Some songs need to be sung a long time. Ooh, wow. Some songs need to be sung a long time. So I was like, okay, that is the medicine of oak. <laughs> yeah, really, strong. Really cool. yeah. I just got the chills. <laughs> I'm like, man, these plants, I'm like, they are so wise. Like they, it's so multidimensional. I'm so grateful. Yeah. And, and I'm like, and they're also here in 3D. Like, how cool is that? I can also literally, like, one of the things we did, I did a rose retreat in, in Mount Shasta last week. And one of the things we did that I love doing with a certain rose that grows um, here right off the porch in the front of my house is to literally, when the rose is just getting ready to drop all of its petals, the, the rose petals are so soft. I'll pick the rose and I'll literally just rub my entire face in it because it's this full face immersion with the rose. And I'm just so grateful that not only are they supporting on us on these really deep spiritual levels, but they also are like, we can also touch them and be in physical relationship with them. So, um, yeah, more recently also, of course, have been working a lot with, with Rose and with Redwood. Those are kind of some more recent allies that feel very, um, timely specifically to support with the global transition going on right now. Yeah. How do you see Rose being able to support with, um, Mm. you know, the, what's going on with the world right now? Mm. Oh, Rose, geez. Yeah. Okay. So just going to tune in and see like what wants to come forward about that. So Rose to me feels really connected to divine love, to the divine sacred feminine, to the opening of the heart and the plants as I'm sure many folks listening are tuned into this as well, how the doctrine of signatures, how they literally show us in their form, how they help on multiple levels. And so with the rose, her very unfurling of the way that she opens up her petals to me feels like it is an invitation. It's a mirror. The plants also, I feel like are continuously holding up mirrors, these very powerful mirrors for how we can be better humans in the world, how we can be better being, how we can be better embodied beings of light in on this planet at this time, that they are constantly holding up a mirror for that. And with Rose, I feel that so strongly with the way that she opens her, her many petals. I um, recently learned that she has been on the planet, that they recently found some fossils actually in uh, Oregon and Colorado that are 35 million years old of Rose, which is incredible how ancient she is on this planet. And I also recently learned this past week that um, in the Toltec calendar that we are literally shifting from the time of the fifth sun to the sixth sun, actually with this eclipse that happened this past week. And that was really cool to learn because I have felt very strongly that in terms of on this planet, how I personally perceive it is that we are shifting from an orientation to time that where that used to be very linear and like linear time and like kind of sort of worked, you know, we were like all functioning in that way to a now much more multidimensional way of being in time. And I feel like Rose shows us how to do this by the very nature of how she blooms, that it's like, it's not a linear process. It is an unfolding from the inside out and that she is continuously showing us that this, this is a huge invitation for us as humans right now is to really unfold from the inside out to come from this place of what feels like the origination point or like the heart inside the heart and to unfold from that place. And also she has a woody stem and she has thorns. So she is protected um, and she protects herself as well, which feels it's, it feels important to have, particularly for folks who are on the healing path or empaths. It's like having that protection is, is really important as we're doing this very, very vulnerable, very soft, very, uh, yeah. I'm like Rose, she brings the realness. Like she is so connected to divine love, the divine sacred feminine, and she brings the realness. And 
I love her for that. So yeah, I feel like she is, I feel like honestly, she is ushering in this new time on the planet. I feel like she is a master teacher plant for the planet. And I know a lot of times folks might think of master teacher plants as just being um, like entheogenic in nature. And I feel like Rose is in that category. For sure. And so how would you recommend folks uh, get in touch with Rose if they, if they don't have a plant that they can gently rub their face into like (laughs) flower essences or other forms of working with the plant? Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because the plants they're not always and they're or they're not always in season like she's not always blooming right so of right. course the essences i absolutely love working with the essences anyone who's even remotely curious about essences if you haven't already um you know dove into that realm i'd highly recommend it 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 feels the the essence to me is like a very direct connection into the spirit of who the plant is and a way of working with essences cuz for folks who haven't worked with them, I think sometimes it can maybe be a little bit intimidating. So a really simple way to do that would be to first, and you only need five minutes. It's like, doesn't need to take much time would be to first get really quiet with the self, do a couple of body scans, just notice, you know, what is, what is my body feeling? What is my baseline neutral in this moment? And then take a few drops of rose flower essence, and notice what shifts over the next couple of minutes. Notice like, oh, am I noticing this somatic thing? Am I noticing this energetic thing? Or am I maybe remembering a song or having a visual or recalling a dream I once had or something like that, that that's all a part of the message from, from the essence. And um, yeah, I, I love that. I also really love the essences because they are a very, um, it, it doesn't require a lot of plant material to, um, to make them and, um, and I know obviously with a lot of medicines that is absolutely required. Um, and I'm very grateful for those medicines and also for the essences. I just love how, how subtle it is and also how deep and how it, um, it's like, we can go really deep with not that much, which I, I really love that about the essences. So Sarah, what, what is a gosh darn flower essence and what, Oh yeah. What do they have to do with famous composer? With what you said? Famous composer. Aren't they, are they like Bach flower essences? Oh my God, that's right. That's so funny. Yes. To- well, the composer and the Bach flower essences are totally different. Um, but they were started, I think, in the 1930s. Well, I honestly think people have been doing flower essences a lot longer than this. But in terms of in uh, like mainstream flower essence media, let's say um, they were officially founded by Dr. Bach in England in the 1930s, who was a physician in England who recognized the healing prop, the subtle healing properties of flower essences. And so the way that I think about flower essences is um, really similar actually to the way that I think about Dr. Emoto's work with water, which um, anyone who's not familiar with that, he's a Japanese scientist who was, did these experiments several years ago of taking photographs of molecules of water as they were moving from a a freeze. So he'd freeze molecules of water and then photograph them as they were melting. And he would do these experiments of putting these different words on these bottles of water, like love or gratitude, or I hate you, or, you know, die, like really just totally different words on, on the same exact bottles of water from the same exact sources. And then as he photographed them, he noticed this trend of, um, the water molecules, completely changing their structure based on what word was, um, was being imprinted on that bottle, which of course, to me says a lot about like our self-talk, like our body is comprised so much of water. And when we do that on positive self-talk or negative self-talk, like it literally does impact the molecules of our, of our body. And so my experience with flower essences is actually that that is pretty much the same. And so with a flower essence, what it actually is, is taking a flower, um, from a plant or, you know, could be even like, like redwood needles, for example, if you're working with, with a redwood and putting them in a bowl of water. And of course, before doing this, asking the plant, tuning in with the plant, asking the plant for permission to do this. If you get a yes, which you'll feel in your body, either a somatic like drawing or a lightning, or if you feel some sort of um, contraction or or closing, you know, it's a no from the plant. And um, 
So if you get a yes from the plant and you give an offering of some sort, which could be a physical, I love to give water. The plants love water or, um, you know, tobacco that, a, that a friend has grown in a very sacred manner. That can be another great offering. The plants do love tobacco as we were talking about before this interview. And so giving an offering and then harvesting a bit of the plant, ideally enough to cover the, the water, um, the surface of the water in the bowl, and then leaving it out in the sun for several hours. And what I love to do during that time is meditate with the plant and really tune in with who is this plant? You know, what is your medicine? How can we be in good relationship together? Things like this. Um, and during that time, and I would be so curious, honestly, at some point to do an actual experiment with this of, of doing what Emoto did of actually taking photographs of the, of the water molecules. But in the meantime, my intuitive sense of it, I know, wouldn't that be amazing? I'm like, to see what the, like, what does the molecule of a rose flower essence look like versus like yarrow or something like that would be amazing. I would love to do that at some point. Um, so yeah. So, so it's basically, it's taking the energetic imprint of that flower into the water. And then that water then absorbs those qualities of that flower. And then we ingest, and of course, you want to preserve it. I like brandy, but you want to preserve it with a little bit of um, preservative, or if you don't do alcohol at all, then you could do like apple cider vinegar. Um, and then ingest that and see what happens like, and meditate with it and just see, you know, who is this plant on this, on this, on this level of the imprint of water, which to me makes sense. Our bodies are made of water. It makes sense that we can absorb in information through, um, through the imprints of information in water because of that. Hmm. So does it matter what kind of water you use? Like, should you use like spring water or distilled water or rainwater or tap water? That is such a good question. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. I personally always use Mount Shasta spring water, but because <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, so good. But yeah, the, absolutely. Spring water is the most ideal because it's the most, it's the most clear. It's the most, I mean, to me that spring water it has like a texture to it. That's different from any kind of other water that's been treated. Um, of course, if that's, if that is absolutely not possible, then just getting the cleanest source of water that you possibly can. But, um, yeah, with as, as little chemicals as possible, but yeah, spring water by far the ideal, if that's available to you, I would, I would say go for that. Cool. And then, uh, does it matter what kind of bowl you use or vessel? Oh yeah. These are all such great questions. Thank you. Um, so I, uh, glass bowls really are the best. The sunlight can come through. There's a certain bowl that I love to use. Of course, if you have a special glass bowl, or, I mean, even if you find like a nice crystal glass bowl in a thrift store or something and cleanse it, and then you can use that if, if the energy of that one feels good. But, um, yeah, glass bowl is great because it allows that sunlight to come through and, um, and it's gorgeous. It just, the, to me, the experience of making a flower essence is so sensual. It's so appreciating the absolute stunning, gorgeous beauty of this plant. I mean, this yeah weekend making wild rose flower essence around here in Southern Oregon it's just like a total bliss fest. It's a time to just go into the bliss of who this plant is, which is such an incredible respite from a lot of the insanity going on in the world right now. And so to set up the, what's that? So true. I know. I'm just like, oh my, like, thank God for the plants. They are just <laughs> like bringing the joy, bringing the bliss, like any time of day or night they're, they're there all the time. So yeah, I'm, I'm like anything to make the experience, um, more, uh, sensually beautiful can also be really fun. Like if you are, I love to harvest flower essences with friends because then we go out, we meditate with the plants together. You know, you can bring, um, beach chairs and all sit around in a circle together and just appreciate the beauty of the plant together. And it, it absolutely helps setting up like things like with the spring water, with the glass bowl to just, you know, bring these things that, that cultivate uh, the beauty and the highest vibration, honoring the highest vibration of the plant. So you infuse um, the water in a crystal or glass bowl for a few hours meditating with the plant. Um, especially with friends, if you can, and then you strain out the flower petals and yeah. add a little bit of brandy about how much brandy would you add to say like 
I don't know if you have like a one ounce bottle, for example. Yeah. So this is actually a great question because, um, it is. So the very first bottle that you make of any essence, it's called the mother bottle. And from that bottle, you can then, um, take like anywhere from, I like to do anywhere from three to nine drops to create, um, the stock bottle or the dosage bottle, which you can then, uh, actually take from that. So the reason that we do these like two or three layers of, of bottles out from the original mother bottle that you take is for that very reason of what we were just talking about earlier, of, you know, like the rose might not always be there to rub your face in kind of a thing. So um, <laughs> if you love the flower essence and you use it all up in a month, it's like, oh shoot, now what do I do? That flower essence is gone. It's not going to be blooming for another year. So it can be helpful to have what we call a mother bottle, which is that original bottle where yes, it's the strained out um, flowers. So with rose, for example, you just strain out the petals. Um, I love giving the petals back to the plant as a thank you, um, for, for the offering and then putting it in a bottle where it's half, I like brandy, but you, you could use really any alcohol base, but half, um, half alcohol, half water. It's very important to not do less than that, which I learned the hard way because, um, I personally love to just be as much in the plant vibe as possible. And so, um, yeah, going with less alcohol, I was like, Oh, it'll be more plant. That'll be great. But then the, the risk and the danger of that is that then it can go bad. So it's really important with the mother bottle, that first bottle you make to have it be 50% water, 50% alcohol. And then from that, you could take three to nine drops from that bottle and create another, you know, one ounce tincture bottle of it. And that would be the stock bottle or if you want to do it a little more untraditional, you could just go right to a dosage bottle with that. And you could put less alcohol in that maybe like 20 to 30% by volume to spring water in that one. And then that would be the one that you would ingest. Mm. Cool. So by adding um, a few drops of the mother into your dosage bottle, it's kind of like uh, imprinting on that liquid and it's like yeah it's like seeding and so i'm imagining it like the shape whatever the shape of like a rose molecule is going into the bottle and does it change all of the other water molecules to that shape too you think totally that's exactly what it is like certainly on that energetic level that's exactly what it's doing which is why it's so cool and one of the things actually that um a nettle plant actually told me a few years ago when i was meditating with it is that it is uh, that there's this huge invitation from the plant realm for us to to connect with them on the spirit level right now because in this big global transition that's happening they many of them might not be here very much longer and so to connect with them on the spirit level it's like even if they're not physically here in physical form we can continue to connect with them um, in the future and with the essences that the thing that's so great about that and exactly what you just spoke to of like, it's basically, yeah, seeding the next bottle is that like one mother bottle can last a very long time because well, number one, it has enough preservative in it, but then number two, because it's like just a few drops can seed um, multiple bottles and you know, that anyone could feel meditating it and tuning into, to that secondary bottle, the dosage bottle. Oh, that's so cool. So in your work with, um, with essences, well, so there's a lot of different kinds of people, right? And there's some that like you are maybe a little more sensitive and some that are a little, maybe less sensitive. Um, do you, do you see the essences working on a lot of different people or are there certain kinds of people that it works better with? That's such a great question. And I feel like with the plants, it's like we each, all of us on the plant path, there's a way or maybe multiple ways, but like, it's so amazing and joyful to find the way, like what is the most clear uh, conduit or medium for us to connect in directly with the plant realm? Like for some folks that's, um, you know, making oils or teas or tinctures Um, for me, obviously it's essences. So because I feel so connected with the essences, I personally feel that they do work with everyone, but in terms of, um, if you're someone, if you're the kind of person who really likes, um, like the physicality of things, like if that very physical, sensual aspect of working with 
you know, and, and you could think about this, honestly, even with like love languages, like what is your love language? If your love language is physical touch, then you're likely going to, um, want to experience the plants in a much more visceral way. And you will likely get, um, a good experience of relationship and healing with the plants. Like if it's more physical. Um, so I personally do think that the essences work with everyone, but I think folks who are more, um, inclined to go towards like the subtle energetic realms anyway, I think we'll probably have a perception of having the most um, benefit from working with the essences. Okay. And then it seems like they're pretty safe for most people. Um, do essences come with any sort of a warning label other than like not adding enough alcohol where they go bad um, in your experience? In my experience, no. Yeah. And, and of course, like that's just me. That's one, that's one person. That's one perception. But because there is no actual physical plant material in the essence. Mm -hmm. In my experience, there is no danger in that. Um, that being said, I do, that is such a great question because, um, so last summer, uh, you know, 2020, very intense time on the planet. It felt very important to work with plants that really help with boundaries. So I was working a lot with yarrow last year. And then, um, some local friends here and I poisoned, there was tons of poison oak everywhere, which is basically like the poison ivy equivalent on the West coast. And so we wanted to work with poison oak to be like, who, well, because we actually, because we were making a St. John's wort essence and there was this gorgeous poison oak plant in, in Mount Shasta, actually right next to this St. John's. I've never seen a poison oak plant flowering so beautifully. And it was, it was like shining in the sun. So beautiful. It was just like, it's, it kind of glowed a little bit different than any other Aww. poison oak plant I've ever seen. And so we're like, Oh, it felt like this invitation, like the poison oak was in inviting us to really work with it. And so we made an essence out of that plant, um, which of course, like had to be very careful not to touch it or anything like using sticks to just bend the plant down into the water. So we used the live method with that one where you don't harvest any plants. You just oh. bend the plant into the water. So you don't have to harvest it at all if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, and then when we worked with that one, because I, uh, I grew up on the East coast and was so sensitive to poison Ivy, like to a ridiculous degree it's since moving out West, I just, I don't mess around with poison oak. I'm like, I get really kind of neurotic about like, make sure I like, do not get any kind of poison oak on my skin. So when I was tuning in with the essence of that one, I was getting this sense of like, it might be like, because I'm such a sensitive individual, like even working with the essence of poison oak might be better to not actually ingest that one. And so I did a little muscle testing with a friend and it was like, yeah, actually it'd be better for me to just put three drops of that on my, on my outer skin rather than ingesting that. So just to be on the safe side, I would say, you know, probably better to not ingest just in case, like, even though there's no actual physical plant material of the plant in the essences, just in case you have an adverse reaction, I'd say, you know, steer clear of like poisonous plants. That, yeah. The aconites and the hemlocks. And, you know, it's just like, there's just, there's just no need to, to take it there. Like you can very easily just sit and meditate with a plant or like put a couple of drops on your wrist or something and notice what kind of meditative experience you're having with it in, in that way. Thanks for bringing up that question. A very important one. That's really interesting. Yeah. Thank you for spending so much time talking about flower essences because it's something that we really haven't explored on the show yet. So it's really awesome. So you also work with um, Akashic Records. Um, and from mine, I don't really know that much about Akashic Records, but I know they come from like Theosophy and Blavatsky. Um, and maybe Rudolf Steiner talks about them, but where, how did you get into them and what are they? Mm records. I love them. So yeah, let's see. The Akashic records are, you know, pretty much every major religion over, over the eons has had this concept of the book of life. And so the Akashic records are essentially like that, where it's this metaphysical book of life of a person's, um, journey of everything that they've ever experienced in their soul's journey, which I, personal experience as being what I call their soulscape. So in the Akashic records, what we're doing is basically um, with the person's permission and setting a very clear, safe container to open up their soulscape. We then open up the records and, um, and then ask information that could be helpful. I personally love helping supporting folks with uh, really fully embodying and stepping into their soul purpose on this life. So that's the main thing that I support folks with in the records, but Essentially, there's this 
I feel like there's kind of two layers in terms of how I perceive the records and, and what they are. One is from that layer of, okay, it's, it's the book of life of that person, of everything that they've ever experienced in their soul journey. The way that I'll often perceive the information from that will be through uh, metaphorical images that are coming from uh, that realm, the soulscape of the person. But then inside of and underneath that, I really also have this, this other, this dual experience of it of it basically being a grid work of light, like um, kind of like a giant database of light of information about this person. And because there are certain uh, spirit guides that, where their entire role and responsibility is to be the record keepers or um, the ones to protect the, the purity, the integrity, um, the sacredness of the records, to me, it's such a, it's such a great discipline and, and kind of like with flower essences, it's like in the healing disciplines, you know, anyone who's called to the healing path, it's like, there are, as you both know, running this podcast, which is so incredible. It's like, there's so many, many multiple ways, many, many, many multiple paths. And so for each of us to really finding it clear on like, what is the one where I, that is most in alignment with me? Like, like, what is my medium? What is my, um, you know, maybe it is literally being a painter or something. And that's how, um, that's how the light comes through kind of a thing, or like, what is the way that I can be the clearest conduit and having explored many different types of, um, healing traditions and modalities. When I found the records, I, I just, it resonated so clearly where I was like, this is the one that aligns with me because it really is working with, light and, and, you know, just, yeah, growing up Quaker and being connected to that aspect of how everyone and everything has an inner light. I've always felt connected to this thing of like at the core essence of who I am and how I perceive everyone who exists and lives in the world is like, it's this core essence of light. So working with the Akashic records is basically working within this realm and grid work of light and, um, and, and receiving information from that, um, from that realm of, of the soulscape of the person. Um, and, and how I got into it interestingly was, um, a friend, I was doing a trade with a friend cause I also support folks with, um, financial coaching, abundance mindset coaching, and, um, she does Arcturian light body readings. And this is a few years ago. And they were like, uh, she's like, yeah, they're saying that you can just like do the Akashic records. Like you can, you, like you are very connected, like you could just start doing readings tomorrow if you want. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. File that one on the back burner, let that one simmer and marinate for a while. And then I had an Akashic records reading several months after that. And it just, it was so clear to me, like, this is, this is a modality that resonates so, so much. Um, but I'm also the kind of person I do have a lot of Virgo in my chart and like to do things in a way that's like, is this being done in the proper right way? Like the integrity of honoring the discipline, like that is very, very important to me. So I wasn't just going to go, you know, hang my shingle out and say, I do Akashic record readings without actually studying and getting certified. So I did a ton of research, love researching and um, I totally found some Sorry to, to interrupt, but I totally got yeah. the Virgo vibe when you mentioned spread yeah. in your... <laughs> Podcast before we start. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Oh, yes. And like the plants, like I said, they totally helped me with my spreadsheets. I'm so grateful for that. Um, but yeah, like yeah, I, I have a ton of Virgo in my chart. So um, yeah, I, I'm just like doing things in a way that honors the the integrity and purity of the discipline. Like no matter what discipline that is, like mm. that is really um important to me. That's a huge value of mine. And so I did a ton of research and I found someone. Um, who I just absolutely loved who I could feel like she is doing this in service to the records. Like that is how she is doing this work. And she teaches it one-on-one. -on -one. And I was like, she's the teacher for me. So I got certified with this woman, Josephine Hardman. Absolutely amazing. She's actually up near you all um, in Massachusetts. And cool. yeah, she was just great. I loved her. So um, yeah, so that, that opened up a whole uh, like portal of psychic information, getting certified in the Akashic records and what I have found since that time is that collaborating and, and calling on the support of the plants, the spirit realm, and all of the directions and the different elements to open up the container to really set the foundation for um, opening up the container of the records before each session. It's like that has exponentially opened up um, the the types and quality of information that I get from the records. So, I mean, the plants to me, they are, 
I obviously work with them when I'm actually working with plants also in the Akashic records, also with the abundance mindset coaching. I'm like, the plants are there on every single level. I'm so grateful to them. Yeah. Okay. And I just have one more question, um, about the Akashic records. So is it something that you can like turn on and off or like, how do you access that like information? Yes. Such a great question. God, your questions are so good. Um, so yeah, that piece of setting the container and for folks who are already very, um, empathic or sensitive, there can sometimes be this struggle with boundaries of like turning on or turning off that the access of information. And so that's why for me, it is so, so, so important to set that sacred container before opening up the records. And so what officially technically opens up the records is there's a prayer to say that like, you know, calls in the protection calls in the, um, the record keeper specifically asks for the very specific intention of what the person is wanting to get information about. And it, yeah, it opens up the records in a very sacred way. So I started doing that and that's the way that I was taught to do. And at at a certain point, I then got to a point where I was like, there's something else. Like there's something else that needs to be a part of this process. What is it? And so I was tuning into it and I was like, oh, the container, like for me in terms of the, and everyone I'm sure works with the records in their own specific way, but the way that really resonates with me is I was like, oh, a further container needs to be actually called in and opened to even set the container for the portal prayer, the opening portal prayer. And that is literally for me going outside, standing barefoot on the earth, connecting in energetically, reciprocally with the earth and calling in each of the directions to hold the sacred container for this reading, which also is calling in the elements. And like the elements are the very foundational structural aspect, building blocks of life. So I'm like, when we call those in to support us in the reading, it, it, it creates the very energetic visceral experience that I get from it is like, it creates a sacred circle that we are literally stepping inside of. And then when I end the session, I close it with the closing portal prayer. And then I go back outside and I actually close up the sacred circle. So I then release the directions, release the elements. And that to me, it, it, it's like an element of opening and of closing the, that, um, what feels honestly, it does feel like a portal. It like opens and it closes it. And it's like, that's so, so, so important because both, um, anyone who works with clients in, in any kind of healing capacity, it's like being able to have closure on that session is so important because, um, so that karmically, like we don't have these like energetic cords, you know, floating out there in the universe that it's like, it's clean, like having clean energy hygiene is so important. And so of course I also work with plants for that. So like yarrow essence, for example, is incredible at supporting, um, with just having very clean, clear, energetic boundaries. So I do work with Yara a lot for, for additional support in that realm. Mm. That's so cool. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And that all reminds me of like in uh, ceremonial magic, like that's all very important too. Mm -hmm. And like opening and closing is like, yeah, like that's, that's very important, you know, banishing and and invoking. It reminds me of, of Reiki as well. Um, with mm-hmm. the opening and closing and just working with the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's fun to see like the common threads among mm-hmm. uh, various traditions and practitioners and practices, you know? So we're nearing the end of our, our time together. Do you have like five more minutes um, today, Sarah, to talk about money? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I'm always down to talk about money. I mean, any <laughs> day or night. I really, I really want to talk to you about money. It's something that you do, um, you work with your clients with. So um, do you want to describe a little bit about, um, I guess, how you see money can be holding somebody back and how you work um, with plants and with your clients to heal their relationship with money? Totally. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. So I mean, this really be like the, these are the transition times that we're living in these big, big, big portal times. And I really feel like right now, simultaneously on the planet, we have these two divergent base. There's like multiple divergent timelines, but there's kind of like two big main ones that we are, that are simultaneously occurring. And one is, um, like bending towards like chaos and destruction. And the other is what I personally experience is like the multi-dimensional way of the, of the plants. It's like 
the bliss path, the path of bliss, the path of true healing and, um, and being in alignment. And, um, and what I have found and what, so what I found in my own life being raised by hippie parents is that there's this crazy stigma about money. Like money is, you know, and we all have these beliefs about money. So anyone listening, it's like, what are the beliefs that you grew up with around money where by age four, your parents through their actions were showing you this narrative with money as if it was true. Um, and so oftentimes like the vast majority of people will just go through life, either living out the same exact patterns that their parents had with money, or they'll do a 180 and rebel against that and do the opposite in general. That's like general trends. Um, and (laughs) yeah. And, and so, and so I think for a lot of, uh, healers and folks out like a lot of folks that I work with who are healers and empaths it's like they're oftentimes doing a 180 where it's like maybe they grew up in a very you know their parents were like accountants or something or lawyers or something and like just you know did things in a certain kind of way with my it felt like a box they wanted to escape it kind of a thing so for me um really I, I got to a point where I realized that I was doing that that I was just living out my parents narratives and patterns with money which can go back pretty far in the ancestral lineage if we keep digging because most people do not do a lot of um, conscious unpacking of their money story. But um, once we get to a point where we see like, or start to question like, what am I doing that's this, like, is this actually true for me how I'm relating to money at a core level? Or is this just a subconscious pattern that I'm playing out? Once we start asking that question, we can then start taking a step back and start to reorient towards money in a way that is truly in alignment with, with who we are. And so the reason that I love working with money so much, because I'm like, to me, money is a medium, just like painting or, um, you know, cooking or working with plants or, you know, the Akash records, it's like, it's another modality. Um, and, and what I, because of the times that we're in right now on the planet, every single person who is here to help support this planet in this transition like we are being called in such a big way to fully step in, like fully, fully step into who we are, what is our highest soul purpose in this lifetime and do it. And what I have found is that a lot of folks who are um, connected with healing, that one of their biggest blocks to doing that is dysfunctional patterns with money. And so that's the reason why I'm like, oh, this would be so cool to work with this thing of money because it's like, well, what happens if we clear the money blocks out of the way? Like what happens if we, you know, um, like reorient to money, both, both because, you know, I have a lot of Virgo clearly. So I love that, you know, the spreadsheet aspect of like, okay, let's look at the practical plan, but also that spiritual, I also have a lot of Scorpio too, of like, what is that deep spiritual healing that needs to happen with money? And so we, I really look at these like three layers of the relationship with money where it's like, okay, there's the emotional layer, like the emotional story, the emotional narratives and that came from the parents and, um, and really uh, like dissecting that and, and connecting with, okay, what is actually the core truth with money? Then there's the energetic layer, which is that is very, very powerful because um, as with any pattern in our life, it's like, if we don't heal out the energetic layer with it, like that pattern's gonna keep showing up on the physical layer. So, um, so we work with neuro-linguistic programming exercises to support that shift. And a lot of visioning as well. And then, um, which to me, visioning is really just another form of very deep listening of what I call like spherical listening, like listening with the whole, all the senses, listening with the whole self to just to ask like, what is really true? What is really calling to come forward in this? And then, um, and then reverse engineering a plan to get there. And then on the physical layer as well of looking at things like, okay, you know, if you want to retire someday, what does that practically mean for your weekly savings. Right. And, and that actually just takes like 30 to 45 minutes to figure that out. It doesn't have to be a big, long drawn out thing. It's like really simple, um, straightforward, easy to figure out kind of thing. So, um, but a lot of people are terrified to do that. And so, you know, there's this thing, I think like with a lot of folks that I work with where, you know, at the beginning, I'll ask them like, is your relationship with money right now more like a booty call or a long-term friend or a long-term friend? You know, are you just looking at money, you know, at 11 o'clock on a Friday night and then ignoring it for the rest of the week kind of a thing. It's like, then you're not going to have a good relationship with money. Like money is there with us every step of the journey on, um, 
this psychologist Maslow created a, a hierarchy of needs to understand there's like the baseline physiological safety needs and then all the way up like emotional needs, belonging all the way up to self-actualization. And our society, I, I think money is one of the most um, stigmatized, exploited and misunderstood things in our entire society. And what I have found in my own experience is that money is actually with us from that on that whole pyramid from the baseline physiological needs all the way up to self-actualization. And that if we have a good relationship with money, and this is like the real reason why I work with who I work with, it's like, you know, the, the folks who are oriented towards healing in their life in general, pretty much everything that you're doing in your life is oriented towards healing, whether that's like the food you eat, the types of people you hang out with, the things you do for fun, you know, in general, it's oriented towards helping the world. Yeah. It's like, that's just how it is. Right. And so what happens when we bring money into alignment with that? Like when we bring money into alignment with that, then money becomes a transformational tool for healing on the planet. And so that is really my big mission with the money piece is that money can be an incredible ally for supporting us in this global transition to manifesting the reality that we actually want to be living in, to align with the timeline that we actually want to create, that money can be an incredible ally in that. And where do you think the fear around money really comes from for people or is it different per, for every person? I think there's layers to it. There's like the, there's the family narrative layer and then there's the societal layer as well. And I think like when it really gets down to it, you know, I think there's, there's a pretty deep, um, deep narrative in society that even though there's a lot of like you know, look at all the wealthy people, everyone wants to be super wealthy kind of a thing. There's also this um, narrative of, you know, wealthy people are evil or like you have to step on other people in order to get to the top. And so anyone who's interested in um, equity and um, social justice, you know, in these kinds of things of like, everyone is equal, we're supporting everyone on the planet, you know, kind of way of being, I think there can be this um, fear that if, you know, if I am making a lot of money, if I have a lot of money, that means I'm stepping on other people to get there. And so I think that that's a pretty huge narrative that um, a lot of people are, excuse me, fighting against. Mm -hmm. And what I have found with that is that, and so like, that was a belief that I also grew up with is that, um, you know, money is the root of all evil. And um, uh, even, even like a belief, like poverty is noble, you know, that could be another one. And Mm -hmm. so you know, in, in my own work, I think about how, um, <clears throat> you know, why do we think money is evil? Like, why do we assign money as being evil thing? And so I'm like, okay, well, because, you know, huge multinational corporations are exploiting things like they're because of, you know, income inequality, because of wealth inequality and how much uh, suffering that's causing in the world. So, but then when I take a step back from that and I look at that and I think, okay, well, huge, multinational corporations, they are also, they're exploiting people. They're exploiting the planet. Mm-hmm. Are people on the planet evil? Like, no. So money inherently is not evil. And one of the most powerful exercises that I love doing with folks is to do a gestalt type exercise of really embodying the essence of money of like, what would it be like, what does the essence of money feel like from the perspective of the essence of money? And of course that requires getting into more of like a intuitive dreaming type state. It's not a rational exercise at all. It's very much of a, like, imagine you are the essence of money. What does, what do you feel like? Yeah. And people have literally like, I'll ask that question and they'll be like, okay, and they'll sit down and then they'll burst into tears. Cause they realize like, wow, what they have been projecting money is one of the most projected upon things I think in our entire society. And when we can get clear about who and what money actually is like, what is the essence of money actually? And what is the core nature of of our aligned relationship with money? It's like that money, I feel our relationship with money is a fractal for our entire life. And when we get clear about what needs to be healed in our relationship with money, we see what needs to be healed in our entire life. And so that's why I love working with it. Cause it's, to me, it's like a direct straight shot, super efficient way to get to like, clearing the crap out that really doesn't serve us and getting to the point of, okay, who and what are we really doing here? And let's like step into that fully. Yes. Very cool. I love that you're doing that work. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. And so, um, I guess to wrap it up, even though I could talk to you for hours, um, 
So what do you have uh, coming up right now that you're excited about either classes or um, I saw you were doing an online Rose Spirit Immersion. Um, do you want to tell our listeners about that and about how they can find you? Yeah. Thanks so much. So yeah, that one's coming up in a couple of weeks. The enrollment for that is actually closed at this point. We're going to do um, a rose immersion on national red rose day on June 12th. Um, but coming up after that, I am super excited for, we have an eight, eight Lionsgate retreat coming up in Mount Shasta where we will really work with actually all of these things that we've talked about today. And um, in the mornings really work on clearing out the old stories that, that no longer serve. And then in the afternoons going to different sacred sites um, in and around Mount Shasta that I personally feel have very powerful healing energies and really um, in a very safe, supported way, align with and connect with these very sacred, powerful energies to really juice us up for the, the big soul work in this life. So that's coming up for anyone who's interested in Mount Shasta. There'll be camping options or folks can stay in town um, and, and meet up with us during the day, but it's going to be, we did it last year. It was totally life-changing for everyone who came and it's just such an incredibly powerful retreat experience. So um, yeah, so you can find about out about all of that on my website, which is sarahartemisia.com or um, send me a message on Instagram at akashic.plantspirit. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Sarah, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you two are doing with plant cutting and um, yeah, just so grateful for your work in the world and incredibly honored to be um, invited to the show. So thank you. Aww. Thank you. We're, <laughs> we're really honored to have you on the show mm-hmm. and excited about what you're doing. Yeah. Feelings so. mutual. So thanks again, Sarah. Ciao.